Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Paylocities Q3 FY 2021 Earnings Conference Call. All participants' lines are in a listen-only mode. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to Ryan Glenn, Vice President of FP&A and Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, and welcome to Paylocity's Earnings Results Call for the third quarter of fiscal year 2021, which ended on March 31, 2021. I'm Ryan Glenn, Vice President of FP&A and Investor Relations, and joining me on the call today is Steve Beauchamp, CEO of Paylocity, and Toby Williams, CFO of Paylocity. Today, we will be discussing the results announced in our press release issued after the market closed. A webcast replay of this call will be available for the next 45 days on our website under the Investor Relations tab. Before beginning, we must caution you that today's remarks, including statements made during the question and answer session, contain forward-looking statements. These statements are subject to numerous important factors, risks, and uncertainties, which could cause actual results to differ from the results implied by these or other forward-looking statements. Also, these statements are based solely on the present information and are subject to risks and uncertainties that can cause actual results to differ materially from those, in, those projected in the forward-looking statements. For additional information, please refer to our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission for the risk factors contained therein and other disclosures. We do not undertake any duty to update any forward-looking statements. Also, during the course of today's call, we will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures. We believe that non-GAAP measures are more representative of how we internally measure the business, and there is a reconciliation schedule detailing these results currently available in our press release, which is located on our website at paylocity.com under the Investor Relations tab and filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Please note that we are unable to reconcile any forward-looking non-GAAP financial measures to their directly comparable GAAP financial measure because the information which is needed to complete a reconciliation is unavailable at this time without unreasonable effort. In regard to our upcoming conference schedule, Toby and I will be attending the Needham Technology and Media Conference on May 17th. Steve and Toby will be attending the William Blair Growth Conference on June 1st. Toby and I will be attending the Cowan Tech Conference on June 3rd and Toby will be attending the Baird Global Consumer Technology and Services Conference on June 8th and the Stiefel Cross Sector Insight Conference on June 10th. Please let me know if you'd like to schedule time with us at any of these events. With that, let me turn the call over to Steve. Thank you, Ryan, and thanks to all of you for joining us on our third quarter Fiscal 21 earnings call. Our solid results continued in the third quarter of Fiscal 21, with a total revenue of $186.1 million, an increase of 8.4% versus the same quarter last year, despite continued COVID-related headwinds. Recurring and other revenue grew by 10.7%, which included a headwind of 3.5 to $4 million, or approximately 2% of total revenue due to annual W-2 billing as a result of lower employee levels at our clients in 2020. Despite those COVID-related headwinds, we still had a strong selling season and are pleased to have started more business in the quarter than we did in Q3 of last fiscal. We continue to be pleased with the execution of our sales team throughout the pandemic, including at the upper end of our target market, as our modern, comprehensive product suite continues to gain traction with larger clients. 
our sales team continues to gain momentum as we anniversary the impact of COVID-19. With both April new business starts and April first-time appointments up substantially over last April as selling conditions continue to improve. We are optimistic about the potential to return to a more normalized sales environment as vaccine rollout continues and state restrictions gradually ease across the U.S. and remain committed to continuing our investment in digital marketing and digital lead generation to support the effectiveness and efficiency of our go-to-market motion. Additionally, channel referrals primarily from benefit brokers and financial advisors once again represented more than 25% of new business in Q3, led by increased use of virtual broker connection activities, events, and virtual gatherings that helped us maintain strong channel referral levels. Adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter was 66.9 million, or 36% margin, which exceeded the midpoint of our guidance by 6.4 million. We are pleased with our ability to be efficient with operational and G&A costs, while we remain focused on incremental investments in research and development and sales and marketing initiatives in fiscal 21 and 22 to continue our momentum in product and sales and to position us for driving future growth once we return to a more normalized macro environment. Our commitment to product development, including sustained investment in R&D, continues to be a key differentiator in the marketplace. Last month, we introduced the Paylocity Modern Workforce Index, or MWI, a proprietary algorithm and index that analyzes, scores, and tracks a company's progress in delivering a more engaging experience to their employees, with the goal of improving overall employee sentiment, retention, and productivity. MWI uses machine learning algorithms created by our data science team to deliver an MWI score that can be benchmarked versus peer companies in the same industry. We then leverage the data and best practices from more than 25,000 clients to deliver customized recommendations that will improve employee engagement and increase a client's MWI score. An independent research study performed by Deloitte confirmed that companies with the higher MWI scores experience lower levels of attrition as higher levels of platform utilization drive improved workplace satisfaction and longer employee tenures. As individuals begin to return to the office, and as the war for talent accelerates, we believe driving more efficient processes and focusing on employee engagement will be a key priority for businesses, and we remain committed to better servicing our clients across these areas through our expanded product suite. I would now like to pass the call to Toby to review the quarter's results in detail and provide updated guidance. Thanks, Steve. Total revenue for Q3 was $186.1 million, an increase of 8.4% with recurring and other revenues up 10.7% from the same period last year. Our adjusted gross profit was 73.5% for Q3, with continued pressure from both COVID-19 and interest rate-related headwinds. We continue to make significant investments in research and development, and to understand our overall investment in R&D, it is important to combine both what we expense and what we capitalize. On a combined non-GAAP basis, total R&D investments were $22.4 million, or 12% of revenue, in Q3. On a non-GAAP basis, sales and marketing expenses were 19.4% of revenue in Q3 as we remain focused on making incremental go-to-market investments in fiscal 21 and fiscal 22. On a non-GAAP basis, G&A costs were 11.9% of revenue in Q3 versus 10.7% in Q3 of last fiscal year, and we remain focused on consistently leveraging our G&A expenses on an annual basis. Our adjusted EBITDA was $66.9 million, or 36% of revenue, for the quarter, which exceeded our guidance by $6.4 million at the midpoint. 
We remain committed to progressing toward our adjusted EBITDA target of 30 to 35 percent of revenue once we return to a normalized macroeconomic environment. Covering our gap results, for the quarter, gross profit was $128.7 million, operating income was $39.1 million, and net income was $36.8 million. In regard to the balance sheet, we ended the quarter with cash, cash equivalents, and invested corporate cash of $182.3 million, and we fully repaid the $100 million drawdown on a revolving credit facility during the quarter. We're pleased with our performance in Q3, which included another strong quarter for our sales team, while also identifying opportunities to demonstrate scale in operational and G&A costs, and we're happy with the progress we've made to that end in Q3. In regard to client-held funds and interest income, our average daily balance of client funds was $1.9 billion in Q3. We are estimating the average daily balance will be approximately $1.6 billion in Q4, and we assume an average yield of approximately 5 to 10 basis points in the fourth quarter. Before reviewing guidance, I'd like to provide some additional context on the current operating environment. As Steve mentioned, we continue to be pleased with the performance of our sales team this fiscal year to date and this past quarter. In regards to the ongoing impact of COVID-19, we continued to see last quarter a double-digit impact on recurring revenue growth primarily related to the sustained lower level of client employees on our platform. Within the quarter, while we did not see any improvement in January or February, we did see a notable increase in client workforce levels in March, particularly in the back half of the month, with further improvement during the month of April. Finally, I'd like to provide our financial guidance for Q4 and full fiscal 21, which incorporates known and some estimated impacts related to COVID-19. In regard to employees per client, our guidance incorporates the improvements we have seen to date, but no further increases during the remainder of the fiscal year. For the fourth quarter of fiscal 21, total revenue is expected to be in the range of $159.5 million to $163.5 million, or approximately 22 to 25% growth over fourth quarter fiscal 20 total revenue. An adjusted EBITDA is expected to be in the range of $31.5 million to $34.5 million. And for full fiscal year 21, total revenue is expected to be in the range of $627.7 million to $631.7 million, or approximately 12% growth over fiscal 20. An adjusted EBITDA is expected to be in the range of $164.3 million to $167.3 million. In conclusion, we are pleased with our Q3 results, particularly in the context of the current operating environment, and we remain committed to investing in the business to ensure we are well positioned for a return to a more normalized macroeconomic environment. Operator, we are now ready for questions. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Scott Berg of Needham. Your line is open. Hey, Steve, Toby, uh, Ryan, congrats on a good quarter, and thanks for taking my questions here. I, I just had a couple here, Stephen. On the second quarter call, you commented on how your customer additions were in line with the additions that the uh, company saw in the uh, back half of 19 for that six-month period. Um, I didn't hear you comment on that uh, that metric here on the call, but how should we think about the pace of ads? Were you able to kind of sustain that rate, which I think was up uh, 19.5% roughly year over year, or was there a, a meaningful change one way or the other to those customer additions? 
Uh, yeah, Scott, I think, you know, being the midpoint of the fiscal year, we wanted to give some color of that, knowing that you know, we had just kind of made it through the January selling season. Um, uh, the fact that we didn't call it out this year uh, or this quarter was not because um, we'd seen a change. Uh, more, uh, it's really continued. And so um, we've had really strong, I think, unit growth through the first half of the year and that ran continued momentum in the quarter. Uh, got it. And then, you know, Steve, one of your comments was um, – about the strength of your sales on the upper end of your uh, target customer segment. Can you point to a factor or two that might be driving better, uh, you know, better sales there? I assume that means, you know, slightly improved win rates, but there's something about the platform or the service that, you know, is really resonating well with customers right now? Sure. So I think uh, the investments we've made in product, both in terms of modules that we've added, but also some of the innovations that we've added to the platform with products like community, um, the addition of premium video, we feel like that's really resonating in the marketplace with the COVID backdrop and the fact that so many employees are working remotely. In many cases, some of the larger clients still have enough resources where, you know, they're still out there evaluating HCM platforms and looking at it. And so I think it's a combination of, I think the market on the upper end is probably a little bit more robust in terms of the earlier recovery, but more important than that is the fact that our, our product investments are really resonating. Got it. And then I'll sneak a, a quick one in for Toby. Uh, Toby, your R&D expense in the quarter is actually down sequentially from Q2, uh, and you didn't spend any more on the capitalized R&D necessarily in the quarter. Any reason for that, that dynamic? That typically doesn't happen, you know, seasonally for you. No, I mean, I, I think you're seeing some timing things from a, you know, quarter to quarter, year over year, um, from, from that perspective, Scott. I mean, I think what we've, what we've said pretty consistently is, you know, throughout this fiscal year, and, and I think this will also be true in, in the back half and in, in the, in the, in the last quarter is, we'll be focused on, um, putting incremental investment against both R&D and, and everything from a go-to-market and sales and marketing perspective to continue to drive future growth. And I think, you know, despite, you know, timing differences that you may see, that's still where the effort is. And I think, you know, as we look at, you know, getting back to, you know, 20 plus percent growth in, in Q4 and in, in the tee up for next year, I think we're, we're still focused on driving R&D and sales and marketing investments to drive future growth. Great. That's all I have. Congrats again. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brian Peterson of Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, hey, gentlemen, thanks for taking the question. Good to hear from you guys. Um, so, so, Toby, it's nice to see the, the uh, 24% uh, growth guidance for the fourth quarter. I know you just mentioned, maybe as a follow-up to Scott's question, uh, that there will be some investments. You know, as we think about that 20% plus growth profile, like, is there any framework that, that you would give us in terms of how to think about the cadence of, of margins as, as we're thinking about fiscal year 22 and beyond? Yeah, um, so I guess, you know, I think the, the, Big picture backdrop is, you know, we've talked about still being focused on getting into that 30 to 35% range over time. I still think that's the right, um, that's the right framework that we would point to. I think we've, you know, we, we've, we've performed better from a margin perspective as we've gone through the year than maybe we would have thought at the outset. And I think a lot of the, a, a lot of that comes from, you know, some of the costs that we've been able to manage through the course of, of this year and the pandemic. So things like T&E being, you know, down substantially. And then I think, you know, uh, but, but I think the consistency in the investment philosophy and the strategy is to continue to spend on things like R&D and continue to drive investment in sales and marketing to be able to, you know, continue to drive future growth. So I think that's that's still how we're thinking about coming through this year, and I think that that will be consistent um, as we as we, as we go into next year. I think that investment focus will will remain constant. 
I think the one thing I would add is we're excited about what we're seeing in the market right now as we're starting to see things return to kind of pre-COVID levels when you look at first-time appointments in the sales force, number of leads coming in, number of clients we're bringing on. And so we definitely want to invest and take advantage of that opportunity. And last year, there were some constraints with travel and T&E and so many other things. And so, you know, we're definitely focused on getting into that mid-20s. You can see us forecasting that for, for next quarter, and that's our number one focus. And we definitely want to invest back in sales and market but certainly at a higher rate than we have over this past year, as well as R&D, while at the same time kind of balancing, you know, our long-term EBITDA objective of over time getting to that 30-plus percentage. And we think we can do that responsibly. And, Steve, maybe it's too early to ask this question, but if you think about, you know, the pipeline, a lot of the early indicators that you're seeing, you know, any changes in, into where the sources of business may come from? I'm just curious kind of how the competitive dynamics may potentially evolve over time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so first thing I would say is we we have been pretty happy with the sales force. We have absolutely sold more business than we did last year, um, and um, but it has affected productivity a little bit, right, over this past year. And so we're over the last couple months in particular, we're starting to see activity levels, um, the amount of, of bookings, the amount of appointments, all start to get much closer to that pre-COVID level, um, and, and that's certainly exciting to us. Um, no big change from a mixed perspective. We made the one call out that we're seeing a little bit more traction at the upper end of our, our target market, but we're getting the customers from kind of the usual people that we would see and the usual competitors in the market. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brad Reback of Staple. Your line is open. Great. Thanks. Thanks very much. Guys, if you look at the pace of hiring picking up in April, as you talked about, and you play that through to the install base returning to where it was pre-COVID on their employment levels, do you think it takes a couple of quarters or a year plus to get back to where they were? You know, I think we've been hesitant to try to uh, forecast the economic recovery. Um, and so, as Toby mentioned in the prepared remarks, we basically took what we saw in April, and then we, we played that through and incorporated that into our into our guidance. It, it's difficult for us to assume anything further out there. Obviously, there's there's positive news in terms of vaccination rates and, and you know, number of cases right now, um, but I think that's the approach that we'll take. We'll try to give you better color on um, as we give guidance towards next fiscal year in terms of what those set of assumptions are. Um, you know, I think at this point so far what we've seen is has been a very gradual recovery. Whether that starts to accelerate or not is still probably to be determined in our mind. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Terry Tillman of Truett. Your line is open. Yeah, hey, Steve and Toby, thanks for taking my questions. I guess uh, thanks for the color, Steve, in terms of the uh, April appointments up 30%. You're going to get in the habit here. We're going to ask you every month how, how the appointments are coming along. But, you know, maybe pre-pandemic, like what, what was a good month for appointment growth year over year? I'm assuming there was growth every year because you're adding more to your sales capacity, et cetera. But, like, what, what does 30% growth sound like? I mean, I know it's better than prior couple of months, I assume, but just a little bit more color around that, and, and is that a lot of that from the upper end of the uh, uh, target market? Yes. So, first of all, um, I don't think we called out a specific number on the, on it being up 30%, um, uh, so that, that, that would actually be low relative to what we saw, but we're not going to call out the number specifically, so it was definitely up more than that. Um, 
And um, we're seeing it really across the board. So we're seeing it down at the kind of lower end of our target market, which, you know, those those businesses were obviously very much impacted during COVID. So we're seeing that come back. It's, it's happening a little bit more in the states that are more open. Um, so no surprises there. Um, you know, midsize has also started to come back. I think throughout COVID, um, the upper end of the market has probably been the steadiest. And now we're starting to see kind of the mid and lower end of the market really start to come back. Yeah, I just looked at my notes. You said substantially. Somehow I, I, I made that 30%. So good, good call out there. Um, but, uh, maybe the second part of the question, and then I had a follow-up for Toby is, at the upper end of your target market, what's their propensity right now to, uh, buy a, a plethora of your add-on modules? Uh, you, are you seeing any changes there? And then I had a follow-up for Toby. Yeah, so I think what's really resonating at the upper end of the market is maybe the complete value proposition, the idea of us being the most modern platform and giving our clients tools to manage a workforce that's gone through a whole bunch of changes, flexible schedules, people working from home, higher demand for transparency. That value proposition is really resonating. And if you look at, you know, our product roadmap over the last few years, we filled in a lot of the HCM modules. So we've got much more complete offering and a much more modern capabilities. And so I think that has really translated in terms of both our ability to, you know, generate leads in the upper end of the market and then ultimately translate those into, into closed sales. And, um, you know, I think that has gradually improved throughout COVID to the point that it was worth at least us calling it out. Um, but again, we really I've got to emphasize, you know, we're starting to see things come back across the entire target market. Yeah, that's great. And I guess, Toby, uh, I, I, and maybe Steve actually mentioned this, but the three to five, 3.5 to 4 million impact, I guess, from lower employment levels. Did you yep. talk about or quantify in 4Q what you expect there? I know it sounds like April was better from an employment standpoint, but did you actually quantify the headwind in 4Q? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess what I'd say is I think the three and a half to four million was in reference to W2s for, um, for Q3. Um, and I think that's, that, that, that was the call out, um, for, for that. But I think in terms of, um, quantifying the, the, the employees on the platform as we're looking at Q4, I mean, I think you know, we didn't call out the quantification of that. I think what Steve's comment was, was, you know, we, we, we started to see improvement mostly in the back half of March. We did see improvement in April. Um, uh, but we did, and we, we carried that through to the guide, um, but we didn't include any uh, incremental improvement from that point forward. And I think that's consistent with, you know, how we've been issuing guidance since the beginning. And, um, you know, that's that's what we did for Q4 as well. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Markin of Bayer. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my question. Um, just curious with regards to the, the modules and, and the attach rates, can you talk a little bit more about community and, and premium video, what you're seeing there? And then uh, separately, uh, obviously, there's all sorts of stories about, um, you know, worker shortages and demand for workers. Wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, your your talent acquisition modules and if you're seeing a big uptick there uh, from a usage perspective and, and what else you can do in order to, to help companies uh, alleviate some of the worker shortages. 
Yeah, so I think on the first point, we definitely have seen throughout COVID increased utilization in community. Now, that's a module that is available for all of our customers um, and really gives the, the ability to communicate and connect in ways that mirror how people might communicate in their, in their social lives, and it's a very social experience. And so that has continued to grow. Um, we have definitely been pleased with the initial launch of Premium Video, which was available to new customers um, at the start of this last calendar year. Um, that's done probably better than we would have expected, and no surprise since people are communicating a lot via video today. I think the other two that's done really well throughout COVID is learning management, surveys, all of these modules that are about communicating and connecting with your employees in a much more digital fashion has been a consistent uh, trend uh, throughout uh, COVID, and, and we've been really pleased with it, and we continue to innovate around that idea of really, truly being a modern experience for employees. And I think the second part of your question, Mark, was? Helping uh, clients basically address the talent shortages that are creeping up across the board. Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of talent acquisition, attach rates, onboarding, yep. anything new that you can do um, to further help your clients? Sure. Well, I think, you know, early on in, in the pandemic, a module like recruiting is probably not quite as in demand as people are downsizing and trying to figure out where their business is. We definitely have seen, seen that return back to kind of our normalized level of penetration rates. Um, you know, we launched text-based features on our recruiting application so you can connect with candidates via text, which gives you a much higher response rate. That's a really good example of something that we've added to, to really help our customers and, and we'll continue to innovate because I think you're right. As the economy starts to recover, it will become more challenging to be able to, you know, find the talented people that you're looking at, especially in growth markets. Great. And then just on the upper end, when you're talking about the upper end, are you talking all the way at the tippy top of your, of your, your range or are you talking kind of the midpoint to the upper end? And, um, from who are you winning from? Who are the, because we've heard obviously from, you know, the, the big, um, incumbents that we all know, um, mm -hmm. you know, they've been talking about increases in terms of their retention rates. So I'm wondering, um, you know, how that coincides. Sure. So, uh, you know, we basically do not cap our sales force. It's really about a product fit to the customer. And so we are focused up to a thousand employees, but in many cases and for many years, we'd bring on customers above a thousand employees. And so I would say, you know, it's really the upper half. So it's 500 plus. Um, and we have customers with several thousand employees and we have a number of customers with thousands of employees on the platform. And so we probably have seen a little bit more momentum at the upper end of our target market and even beyond than maybe we had seen, you know, 12 months ago. And we felt like that was probably worth a call out because that was a particular strength, um, you know, in the quarter. Great. And, and who are you taking away from? You know, no, no real big differences there. Uh, we continue to see, you know, some of the, the service bureau providers. We continue to see in-house offerings. Um, once in a while, you run into some players in the enterprise space that we don't typically run into, but it's still fairly infrequent. Um, at, at the end of the day, I think our product suite offers a level of, of difference where, you know, if we get pretty far in the process, um, you won't see some of the enterprise folks, you know, uh, alongside of us. Great. And then just for next year, should we think about um, things like travel and entertainment really uh, creeping back? In other words, um, 
you know, should we expect margin improvement next year, or is it possible that we're going to, with, with the sales additions and maybe some expenses coming back, um, you know, that maybe we, we have a, a, a lower level of, of margin expansion next year than normal? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, first, we're really excited about continuing to invest and grow. Um, I'm excited about the momentum that we're seeing in the market. And, and you can see that we have not grown maybe places like sales and marketing and R&D in the way we would normally would. We had kind of done a pause early in COVID. We've been certainly working at increasing those numbers since then. Um, we, we are in investment mode. And at the same time, we're going to be comping, you know, a time period where we haven't had a lot of travel. People weren't moving around. They weren't getting together. We want to get our people back together. We don't envision everybody be in the office the same way. It'll be more of a hybrid environment long term. But we absolutely think getting people together, driving the culture um, is absolutely going to happen. So it probably becomes a tougher margin year next year because of that. But from a long term perspective, it won't really hinder our ability to get to our long term model. And we think that that's the right type of investment because the opportunity is, is still very large in front of us. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from Brian Bergen of Cali, Atlanta. Hi, guys. Good afternoon. I wanted to follow up on the employment-related headwinds on uh, the pre-pandemic client base. I'm just trying to understand the magnitude of this improvement that you saw through April. So is, is, it, is it still assumed to be a double-digit headwind to recurring in 4Q, or, or is that kind of moved into the single digits? It's definitely moved into the single digits. I'm not sure we want to get into calling it out specifically. There was, there's different elements. It's mostly driven by employees on the platform. You know, I think about it as, you know, gradually getting better um, and slowly moving out of those double digits. Um, and then, you know, obviously being less so into next quarter. Um, so that's probably kind of the, the right way to think about it. You can kind of see it, obviously, in our, our guide, right? We're back into that mid-20s kind of guide. Um, obviously, we're anniversary in kind of the, that COVID period. Um, but um, our, our anticipation was what we saw through April. We didn't include any anything else um, in terms of the assumptions for the guide. Uh, but so far, it's been kind of a, a slow but steady recovery. Okay, that's helpful. And, and then can you give us a sense on where – sales headcount stands, and how would you say you're doing in this environment adding new sales professionals? Yeah. Um, so I think, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we had a bit of a pause early last fiscal year just in terms of hiring, and, um, you know, we definitely felt like the sales team was doing well in the, in the COVID environment, and, and we started to kick that back up. This is really our hiring season that we're in right now. So spring is really where we really do a lot of our hiring so that we can go into next fiscal year with the right number of headcount. Um, we feel pretty good about the progress that we're making. We'll give you more color on the next call in terms of where we're at, but I would say so far so good. All right, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Samad Samana of Jeffrey. Your is open. Hi, good afternoon, and uh, thanks for taking my question. So maybe uh, on, on the product side, just when I think about the company's last couple of tuck-in acquisitions, could we get an update on maybe just where the, the back-end integration process there is and, you know, kind of con along with that gross margin, I know it, bump it bumped up seasonally in the March quarter, but it was actually quite a bit ahead of what we were looking for. So are we starting to see gross margin gains there as those integrations are completed? So I think overall, as customers buy more of the HCM modules, we have historically gotten a lift in, in gross margin. Um, and so if you think of something like premium video, you know, a lot of the work is on the product dev side. Less of the work's naturally going to be from a support perspective because 
you know, once we turn that on for you, you've got video embedded in different parts of the application, and you can start taking advantage of that, and it's really easy to use, right? And so that's kind of the goal that we have with, with a lot of the new modules. And so as module penetration increases, that's certainly going to be one of the primary drivers of growth margin. We also mentioned we had pretty good expansion of, of surveys and learning management throughout COVID, so another good example. Um, and then I think there is some element of, you know, there is some, some travel and expense and so on that we do even in the gross margin line, not nearly as much as you would see in maybe sales and marketing. But there, there is an element of, you know, from a cost perspective, um, we certainly didn't take on any additional facilities or anything that we, we might consider in, in normal headcount growth environment. So um, I think there's a little bit of cost benefit from it, but it's most of the, the is coming from the module penetration of these, these newer modules. Great. And then as I think about, you know, maybe the, the historical trend between kind of the rack rate PEPY and, um, you know, and kind of realized pricing, as you, as you add more of these modules, are you starting to see kind of better conversion there? Or how should we think about like the, the effectiveness of the, the add-on sticking in terms of, uh, of price uplift or PEPY uplift? You know, I think what we've historically found is when we release a module, you know, we're pretty confident that with a little bit of time we can get that thing into 10% of our customers and then grow it from there. And we've had pretty good success being able to do that. Um, and some products will will accelerate much faster than others, and some take a little bit longer, right? And so um, overall, when I look at all of the modules and how we're doing from a pricing perspective in terms of getting that realized PPY, um, it continues to uh, increase, and we feel pretty good about that. Now, at the same time, during COVID, you've got less employees on the platform. So you've got, you know, some, some mitigating circumstances there. But I think from a module penetration and the utilization that we're seeing from clients of those modules on our platform, we're very encouraged. Great. Now, I just, I, I'm going to apologize in advance for squeezing one more, one more in. I know normally we're down to two. But just as I think about, um, you know, CAC, are, are we starting to see any – uh, changes in trends there, you know, I think that especially with retention, as, as someone mentioned earlier, at some of the incumbents increasing and, and a fight uh, for adding more units, any changes in your customer acquisition costs that we should be aware of? Well, I don't think, hey, hey, I, mean, I, I don't think um, we've been pretty consistent from a retention perspective. And so, I mean, I think we, we've seen relatively consistent uh, client retention rates throughout the course of the pandemic. I think that consistency would have con- would, would have continued through, you know, Q3. And then I think just go back to the to the investment um, comments that I and, and Steve would have made earlier in the call and in the prepared remarks. I mean, I think we are still remain focused on investing um, in in sales and marketing. That's true of this year. Obviously, you know, Steve's referenced a couple of times the timing. Uh, difference in the year in terms of being a little bit lighter because of, um, you know, pauses at, at this point last year. But, I mean, I think as we look at, um, you know, Q4 and as we look at next fiscal year, we, you know, the effort is to get back on pace with investments in sales and marketing, and that's all focused on being able to continue to drive growth into the future. Great. Thanks again for taking my questions. Sure. Thank you. Our next question comes from Matt Baugh of William Blair. Your line is open. Hey guys, thanks for taking my questions. Just just one for me on on the competitive environment. Wondering if you've seen any changes in your uh, competitive win rates. I think one of your competitors was out there talking about um, them seeing better uh, win rates. So uh, just wondering what what you guys are seeing out there in the market. Yeah, you know, I think what I would tell you is I think our win rates have been 
fairly consistent over time, not necessarily a lot of change there. I think what the call out is we're seeing more activity. So more, more first time appointments, more deal flow, more activity. Um, and that's probably the part that's more encouraging. I, I think we feel good about the win rates that we've had and the consistency that we've been able to, to deliver um, wins versus our competitors and, and wouldn't call out a change there. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Robert Simmons of RBS. I mean, RBC, your line is open. Hi. Great. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, you gave the forms headwind as three and a half to four million. Um, I just want to check two things. That was versus trend, right? Not year over year. And did that include um, both W2s and ACA related filings and that kind of thing? So the, the three and a half to four was the actual impact in the quarter, um, in, in in dollars, and that was you know related to W2s. I mean that was that's that's the that's almost all of it. Yeah. Okay, so was there also like additional ACA impact as well for the ACA um, annual um, form filing requirements? So the ACA impact would have been embedded in kind of the employees on the platform on an ongoing basis because we typically, for, for most of the clients, we bundle that as an ongoing service. So rather than just charging one time, it gets spread out throughout the year. Got it. Okay, great. Thanks. And then um, you mentioned retention uh, being pretty consistent, but can you give a little more color there? Like, are you still seeing some um, businesses that drop down to zero employees and they're sticking around and playing, like, the, the very low minimums, um, but they haven't turned you off, or what's yeah, anything yeah. useful? That's a detailed question for sure. Um, yeah, uh, retention has been strong overall, right, when we're – generally focused on revenue retention uh, being above 92%, and we continue to see that. It's been a strong year for us from a retention perspective. We do manage the clients that might go down to no employees and and tell us, hey, I, I'm not going to process any payrolls for the next month. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay you some minimum amount. But we are, are pretty quick at going back at those clients and making an assessment in terms of whether they're going to continue. And so we would never have a buildup of customers who are not doing anything on our platform for any period of time. We would actually take those as a loss and re-engage them when their business came on if, if we had to. Uh, but it's a really small number, um, small number of clients and, and very small no- amount of revenue. Got it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Alex Rukin of Wolf Research Line Focus. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. I'll, I'll try to keep it to, to just the two. Um, so maybe – just stepping back a little bit, Steve, if you think about where your pipelines are, where your pipeline coverage is, you know, when you were going into the pandemic, you, you started really seeing almost an acceleration uh, in, in some of those metrics and, and the execution. Are we at a point now where we are back to that kind of pre-pandemic, you know, new sales execution mode? And are you seeing anything like, is there almost like a coiled spring of people that were hesitant to move that, that maybe now as budgets have loosen, the environments maybe reopen, there's a little bit more uh, willingness to, and then so there's almost like a pent-up demand type of situation? Well, it's hard to know exactly where we sit right now. So what I would tell you is going into the pandemic, you know, we called out the fact that we were over 40% bookings versus the prior year. We had significant amount of momentum, and that was both in activity and then obviously in terms of getting those customers started. Um, what I would tell you is throughout the pandemic, um, it certainly is a little bit more of a challenging sales environment, but it's a big market and a big opportunity. So we were able to focus on industries and states where those opportunities existed and, and still continue to have 
what we thought was pretty good growth. We are now, I think more recently, meaning the last couple months, um, and maybe not uniformly across the country, but as, as different markets have reopened, activity levels have certainly increased. Um, and we see that both in, you know, first-time appointments, in, in bookings. Um, and we're probably not quite at that pre-pandemic level yet, but we feel like we're heading towards it, and, and that's giving us the, the reason for the optimism. Got it. And then maybe just one for, for Toby. If, if I look at – I realize we're not giving any guidance for next year, but if I look at the, the tailwinds in the business, you know, comping – uh, the, the COVID period, you, you're, you're getting a little bit of a, of a boost in productivity. You're, you're getting, you know, some incremental modules that you're now able to sell. Uh, you're, you're seeing, you know, some recovery, at least in float and interest rates, some recovery in employment trends. Is there anything that should be different about the seasonality of the business sequential growth from a sequential growth perspective as we think about the shape of fiscal 22, uh, or any elements around, you know, why we couldn't see you know, a little bit heightened uh, growth trajectory versus previous years? Well, I, I mean, there's a lot in that question. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything structurally different in the business that would give you a different shape to the things that you watch, you know, on a quarter-to-quarter basis throughout the course of the year. I think the only thing I'd say is an awful lot of the things that you mentioned, um, you know, are, are early days of tailwind, and they're they're pretty hard to, you know, foresee how exactly those are going to play out um, from a timing standpoint in the course of next year, uh, or if they do. I mean, and, and so, I mean, I think you're hearing optimism uh, from us in, in terms of what we've seen in March and in uh, or the back half of March and in April, um, you know, certainly you know, would, would, would be great for the world to see those things continue. It, it's hard to um, necessarily quantify how they're going to play out next fiscal year or the timing that you might see associated with them, but there's nothing structurally different in the business. Um, from a, you know, if you're in steady state perspective, so. Understood. Thank you, guys. Congrats on a good quarter. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Titi Canigrai of Mizuho. Your line is open. Hey, guys. This is actually Matt Diamond on Cities behalf. Thanks for taking the question. I want to ask Alex's question a little bit differently. It, it was noted that premium video and the, the modernity of the platform is, is starting to resonate. I'm very curious. It would I would imagine that the customer base is going to start thinking about a return to the office, as most of corporate America has. Does that have any ramifications for your sales cycle? Would would people consider premium video and learning management systems, at least the modernity of those, any different priority-wise as in-person interactions resume and people are, are more than pixels on a screen? So I think the, the conversations that we've been having with our customers, um, as you mentioned, everybody is trying to figure out how they're going to do this, uh, particularly, you know, in a knowledge worker economy where they can be effective from home. Most of the conversations that we've had with people is that that new normal um, is some sort of hybrid. And so what that means is maybe I was in the office five days a week. Now I'm going to be in the office three days a week. Maybe I've just got more flexibility around what my scheduling is. Um, we've come to a level of trust, to, and we've been able to see what productivity can look like from, from work from home from the scenarios. And it's, I think it's going to be difficult to be able to keep that um, and return back to the way it was before, particularly as the economy is growing and, and, you know, finding the right talented people is going to be a challenge. So 
I think that those products are going to continue to resonate, um, even if people are back in the office for some period of time. And actually, they could become very important as part of driving your culture in an environment where you don't have everybody in the office every day. And so we feel like that trend will, will very much likely continue based off the conversations we've had. And that's certainly what it's going to look like here at Paylocity. Understood. And the, the dovetails really nicely into my next question. Does that, do the plans for your own virtual sales approach in the second half, and it was alluded to earlier as T&E potentially comes back, has that been dialed into a point where the virtual sales approach could be something that's longstanding and, and not, it wouldn't gradually fade away as reopening pervades more and more? Yeah, you know what I would tell you is, um, you know, the great thing about salespeople is is they're very creative, they're entrepreneurial, and they want to follow where the market is to find the revenue. And so what I mean by that is if customers are much more comfortable having in-person conversations and they want to move that way, then our sales force is certainly ready to do that, and, and there are absolutely cases where they're having on-site appointments today. The salespeople also recognize that if they can do that virtually and avoid a drive and the customer um, is very comfortable, they'll do that. And so we want to make sure we arm our salespeople with all the tools they need to be successful, either virtually selling clients um, you know, from their home office, um, as they're doing today, or getting back on site with customers and um, making sure that we can do it the way that the customers are most comfortable. I think, like my answer before, you're going to see a bit of a hybrid and a bit of a new normal where um, it's going to happen both ways, um, and we're going to make sure that the sales reps are ready to do it either way. Excellent. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jeff Van Ree of Craig Hallam. Your line is open. Great, thanks for taking my question. Just one for me. Um, on the quarter, in terms of the variance, can you just put a little, maybe a little finer point on it? I think you had about a million of revenue upside, give or take, but about six on the EBITDA side. And, and maybe just spend a second there in terms of the variance around margins and spend, just so I have a, a little more clarity on the quarter itself. Sure. So um, some of the variance certainly comes um, from the fact that we, we got a little bit of recovery right at the end of the quarter, as, as Toby said, more in the back half of March. So that's certainly a smaller portion of it. And then, you know, we, we were hopeful at the start of the year that we would be able to be back to travel and, and doing some of the meetings and have much more in-person contact. So as we kind of budgeted in the quarter, um, you know, we were able to do better from an expense perspective. And then I think lastly, uh, to my earlier point, some of these products that we're able to get higher penetration rates on are driving some margin expansion. So you, you, you saw that in, in gross margin. So I think it's a combination of factors that have translated to a bigger beat on adjusted EBITDA than we had in revenue. Yeah. Um, fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Arvid Romani of Piper Family. Your line is open. <laughs> Take my question and congrats on a, on a good, good quarter. Uh, you know, I just wanted to uh, kind of ask about the competitive uh, environment. Uh, I, I know the question has been asked a couple of times, but but what I'm really looking to understand is, you know, certainly like some of the more legacy players like EDP and Paychex uh, have been making investments on you know m- making their um, solution more uh, kind of cloud and more more agile. And then you've had some of the more uh, niche players, whether it's you know, a, a Paycor or a Bamboo, um, you know, kind of really uh, kind of come at it from a from a from a different perspective. Uh, so have you have you kind of seen uh, you know kind of increased competition from either of these two groups? And and the follow up is um, you know from from a, um, a product 
roadmap perspective, do you feel, you know, you're making the right investments to, to kind of keep ahead of the competition over the next couple of years? Sure. So I think on your on your first question, it's always been a pretty competitive environment. I think it's pretty typical that a customer is going to look at two or three providers. You know, our size market, they probably can't handle evaluating a lot more than that. So that's always the case. And, yes, you see the bigger players in those deals all the time, and some of the newcomers we're used to competing with. And as I mentioned earlier, we have not seen really a change in our win rate. So we've been pretty effective throughout the pandemic in terms of competing. I think your second point on – we really do believe that some of the bigger macro trends in terms of work from home, increased flexibility, Gen Z entering the workforce and, and having different demands on their employers and people wanting tools at work that feel like they're tools at home all really bode well versus our product roadmap. And so we're excited about what we just launched with our modern workforce index where we actually have a recommendation a proprietary recommendation engine built on a scoring model that will allow people measure their progress in terms of how uh, effective they are with their communication, how engaged their employees are. And that's an example of something that's pretty unique and innovative. That combined with what we've done in community, uh, we think um, is a good proof point of us really being one of the more modern platforms, if not the most modern platform in the marketplace. And I think those trends are going to absolutely continue in this new hybrid work environment. And, and we feel really good about the investment we've made in our data science team, um, in community, in video, even with the most recent acquisition, which is still in the integration process uh, of same page, all really speak to that modern uh, employer. Uh, terrific. And, uh, and Steve, I know, like, you know, when we met in 2019, uh, you, you were excited about community and video. And, you know, certainly, you know, you, you probably didn't anticipate the pandemic at that point, but, you know, certainly kind of, you know, the usage of, of this must, must have gone up with, with with your clients. But, you know, kind of, you know, have you kind of taken a look at the product roadmap over the next couple of years? Are there certain areas where you need to, to sort of make bigger investments in, Sure. A lot more quickly than than if the pandemic had not happened. Yeah, it's a good question. I would I would call it our data science team and some of the stuff we've done around the algorithms and machine learning. I mean, one of the challenges customers have, and this was brought up earlier, is they're not sure oftentimes what to do, especially the average customer with a little more than 100 employees. And so now I've got employees who are only in Monday and Wednesday, and other employees are in Thursday and Friday, and I've got this whole flexible schedule environment, and I've got younger people entering the workforce, and um, I'm having a hard time connecting with them. And so we're, we're really excited about actually leveraging the data that we have from the more than 25,000 clients on our platform and figure out who's got the lowest turnover, who's got the best practices, and then being able to surface that to our clients so that they know what they do, so they know how to use community, they know what to post, they know how employees are going to engage. And so this idea of investing in data science and then really helping our clients with best practices, if we do that well, those clients are going to see uh, higher retention of their employees, and they're going to get more productivity for those employees that stay longer. And we think that's a really powerful value proposition. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, and good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure no further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the call back over to Steve Bonechamp, CEO of Paylocity, for any closing remarks. Yeah, great. Thank you. Just take a brief moment to thank all of you for your interest in Paylocity and definitely want to thank, you know, our nearly 4,000 employees across the country who've been working hard during, during a very challenging time. So hope everyone has a great evening. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference. Thank you all for participating. You may all disconnect. Have a great day.